Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for heart health support. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard-to-recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. have so many questions about homes, and I'm sure you do too. So in this episode, we'll try to answer some of them. Let's start with why did Holmes kill Peitzel? Holmes had written to Miss Peitzel from prison just before she was released, and the letter included the phrase, quote, we never quarreled. Well, this is Holmes we're talking about, so it won't come as any surprise, I'm sure, that what he wrote was pure fiction. In fact, the pair had argued around July 1894, just two months before Peitzel was murdered. Peitzel was fed up of his life of crime with Holmes. He was getting old, he was tired, and he was done with the scamming and scheming, and wanted to retire to a quiet life with his family. But he wasn't going to go empty-handed. He claimed that he had an interest in the World's Fair Hotel, and that property in Fort Worth was actually held in his name. Well, okay, in the name of his alias, Benton T. Lyman. So in his head, it was very simple. He would get paid what he was owed, and then him, Carrie, and their five children would have a lovely, peaceful life together. Holmes was witty. He promised to buy his friend out, and once they completed just one more scam, you guessed it, the Fidelity Mutual Life Insurance Scam. Next, I want to look at how did Holmes deceive so many women? Well, of course we know that as well as being charming, charismatic, 
And let's not forget he was described as being handsome. Holmes was a con artist, scamming people left, right, and center. Taking all of this into account, bigamy was probably one of the least stressful parts of his life. He used aliases. He told elaborate stories of wealth and inheritance, and he made sure that none of them ever met each other. Let's just remind ourselves of his love life timeline. On July 4, 1878, Holmes married Clara A. Lovering, then went on to have a son. January 28, 1887, Holmes, using the alias Harry Howard Holmes, married Myrta Z. Belknap. They went on to have a daughter. February 14, 1887, two weeks after marrying Myrta, Holmes filed for divorce from Clara, claiming infidelity. June 4, 1891, 4.5 years after filing the petition, it was dismissed for failure of prosecution, so they were still married. January 1894, Holmes, using the alias Howard, married Georgia Yoke. Holmes was definitely very good at covering up his lies and deceit. And finally, the victims. It seems like most were random. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time and crossed paths with the wrong person. There has been a lot of speculation about other victims. And while researching the case, I came across a young lady by the name of Almeida, known to her friends as Mita, that I believe could have been one of those unlucky enough to meet the charming H.H. Holmes. I'm going to end this season with telling you the story of Almeida Eleanor Hewitt. It's every parent's worst nightmare. Your daughter meets a guy in a distant city and suddenly winds up dead. He's nice at first and more understanding than you. He listens and he's funny and she's happy, even giddy, with this new love in her life. And then something changes. Her mood darkens. She talks about him less. And you don't know why. She's less happy each time you see her. And soon, you're not seeing her at all. On a cold November morning in 1888, they find her body in a lake with her throat slit. H. N. Edwards was an alias for Almeida's suitor, and there really was someone using the name H. N. Edwards in Chicago at the time, and he did own a drugstore, but this was not his real name. Mita's mystery man had borrowed the name of an associate as an alias for his relationship with an out-of-town girl. Any one of Almeida's Indiana friends that tried to look up her big city boyfriend would find him immediately. Pretty much exactly as she described him, without coming any closer to his true identity. It's pretty brilliant when you think about it. H.H. Holmes, the famed serial killer, had a drugstore in Chicago at this time and knew a man named Edwards through their common vocation. He spoke multiple languages and was known for his ability to charm young women. He was always using aliases, like Alexander Bond, and even the name Henry Howard Holmes was fake. Remember, his real name was Herman Mudgett. Mita came to the city of Chicago for the man she called H.N. Edwards. He comes forward at the time of her death to identify her, introducing himself to the Chicago police as one O.W. Arts. Following his time with the police, where he casually directs them to the likelihood of her suicide, Arts does multiple interviews with newspapers, where he continues a narrative of Mita's suicidal unhappiness. It's worth pausing for a moment here, 
to note that there is no official record in Chicago in the 1880s of any man named O.W. Arts. In an interview with the Inter-Ocean newspaper on December 2, 1888, Arts tells reporters that he treated Mita as a brother treats a sister, and that she was romantically entangled with another man who was ultimately responsible for this tragedy. Arts points the finger at George W. Johnson, owner of the Clarion newspaper in Mita's hometown of Rowan, Indiana, suggesting George's refusal to leave his wife for Mita's reason for her despair. He says Mita's brain was turned, that she was temporarily insane at the time of her death. In his words, I am under the impression that Mita was in love with a man Johnson, and as he is a married man, her case was hopeless. The trouble arising in her family was enough to turn any girl's brain, and I believe that while laboring under a fit of temporary insanity, she made away with herself. Whatever his intentions, O.W. Arts succeeds in convincing the CPD of Mita's suicide. When I reached out to the department for official documents regarding her death, I learned there aren't any. The department was as helpful as they could have been, They searched every variation of the name Mita or Almeida, and even checked every record from the week of her death. The judgment of suicide preempted the need for any investigation, and Mita's case was quietly discarded. When I said at the beginning of this episode that Mita's story was every parent's worst nightmare, I was referring to normal parents. That's not what Mita had. Mita's mom had turned to what she called a disreputable life, and her dad wouldn't even pick up her body at the train station when it was shipped back to Rowan for burial. The Indianapolis News covered Mita's funeral and referred to her father in the headline as an unnatural father. In the body of the article, it noted, Mita's father, whose home is six miles north of the city, refused to have anything to do with the funeral and did not appear to view the remains. He was utterly indifferent as to the fate of his daughter. At an early hour today, he disappeared, accompanied by his second wife, to avoid prosecution for bigamy. The tragedy has created a sensation at Roran, where the dead girl has many friends. She was a general favorite. There is yet much mystery surrounding this case, which will be cleared up soon. The last part of that comment is especially stinging, any thought that the mystery of Mita's death will be cleared up soon is about 135 years out of date. We still know so little. But due to some investigative work, I have a working theory. Here's what I think happened. H.H. H. Holmes arrived in Chicago in August of 1886, and he met Almeida at that time while using the name H.N. Edwards. Wanting to keep his identity a secret, and obsessed with aliases, he gave her the name of a fellow acquaintance. When Mita's dad takes her back to Indiana, she continues writing to Holmes. We know that she was exchanging letters with H.N. Edwards at a pace of about four letters a week. The year after Mita and Edwards met, 1887, Holmes begins the construction of his murder castle. By the time she dies in 1888, this building is not yet complete which explains why she wouldn't have disappeared into the basement. When Mita returns to Chicago in 1888, Holmes, operating now under the assumed name 
of O.W. Arts reconnects with her and finds her a job. Six months later, her body is found in the lake. If he had dumped it anywhere else, in a street, for example, police would have investigated as a matter of course. Drownings are accidents, apparently, even when your throat is cut. I think it was telling that Arts is the only person suggesting anything about an affair with another man. By directing the cops to suicide, Arts heads off an investigation by pointing the finger at another man. He may have been directing suspicion away from himself. Had police investigated the death as a murder, if she had been pregnant, as had been suggested, an autopsy would have uncovered that, and the first place the cops would have looked for her killer would be her married lover. By inventing an affair with George Johnson, Arts would have been covering his bases. As part of my investigation, I went looking for Mita's gravestone. It's about 30 minutes from where I live, in her hometown of Roanne. Visiting Mita's grave brings this tragic story home in a way that I hadn't anticipated. I spent the afternoon clearing her headstone, for more than a century of neglect, in order to bring her name back into the light of day. I spent much of that time trying to decipher the bottom inscription. Because it was closest to the ground, it was the dirtiest and most corroded. After about an hour of running my hands over the lettering and resorting to some purple crown rubbings on a piece of white paper, I finally figured it out. It reads, Here lies a rose, a budding rose, blasted before her bloom, whose innocence did sweets disclose beyond that flower's plume. Standing alone in a small cemetery is a weird feeling, especially knowing that there are only two people alive that know who this 18-year-old was. And as I'm speaking these words, I'm also reminded of the immense power that I have as a podcaster. My words are being heard by 1.5 million of you. So, as suddenly as Almeida's life was taken and forgotten, she is now remembered again. I have no doubt that the man who likely murdered Mita knew the situation with her family and rightfully assumed that she was a throwaway. If that term is new to you, I recommend you listen to that season of Foul Play. It highlights how some predators prey on victims they know the world doesn't care about. In our ongoing journey dissecting real-life mysteries, I've found a perfect companion in a game that not only captivates, but also lets me step into the shoes of a detective in the glamorous 1920s, June's Journey. As someone who's delved deep into the game, playing through the intriguing scenarios of June Parker, I can personally vouch for its immersive experience. In June's Journey, you unravel the mystery of June Parker's sister's murder. Each scene is a visual and intellectual puzzle, with hidden clues scattered across beautifully crafted locations, What I've enjoyed most is the depths of the storyline. Each chapter peels back a layer of this thrilling narrative, revealing danger, mystery, and romance. Besides the allure of solving mysteries, the game lets you design and customize your own luxurious estate island. Building my estate has been a delightful escape, offering a creative break from the intense narratives we tackle on the podcast. For those of you who enjoy the blend of history, mystery, and narrative depth, we explore on this podcast, June's Journey offers a chance to live out those elements in a beautifully interactive setting. June needs your help, detective. 
Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android, and join me in this ongoing quest to uncover hidden truths and solve complex mysteries. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I do believe Mia was murdered by the man using the alias Edwards and later Arts. And I also believe that this man could very well be H.H. Holmes. And I have to give credit where credit is due. He was right. Almeida was seemingly deemed a throwaway by society in the 1880s. And he got away with murder. But in 2022, I'm a podcaster on a mission to change the way society sees throwaways. After all, I was once one too. So what do you say? How about we work together to remind the world of who Almeida was? The world knows darn well who H.H. Holmes was. So let's take some time to learn more about Almeida. I will caution you, though. Her story is one of pain and has an unfair dose of sadness. And, well, you already know how it ends. Almeida Eleanor Hewitt was born in 1880 near Dayton, Ohio. Her father, Henry Hewitt, was a very abusive man. He would often beat his wife and was known in his community as an alcoholic. When little Almeida arrived, she too fell victim to his abuse. In fact, he would beat her so horribly as a young child that for the rest of her life she would suffer from constant debilitating back pain. When Mita was eight years old, her mother finally found a way out, and she took Mita with her. Only a short six months later, Mita's mother was helping a neighbor drive up cattle when her father slipped into the house and abducted her. Mita resisted as much as an eight-year-old could. She was taken to the office of the Miamisburg Bulletin, and he kept her there as a prisoner until midnight. Then, under the darkness of night, he forced her to go with him on a train west to North Manchester, Indiana. She cried, begged, and pleaded with him to be allowed to go back to her mom. However, that only made him beat her harder. When they arrived in North Manchester, they lived at her grandmother's home. It was a hard life. She wasn't allowed to leave the property at all, and she was explicitly told that she was not allowed to learn to read. Her father threatened her that if she told anyone that she was abducted, that he would kill her. Her abuse worsened over time, and her beatings evolved from the hand to a belt and to sticks. Mita was 10 years old in 1880 when a wealthy childless family in Roanne learned of her situation. 
After a lot of back and forth, a written agreement was struck. Mita would be allowed to live with the wealthy family and would be educated, and in return they paid her father a lump sum of money. Four years later, Mita's father tells her that her mother died years ago and gave her an ultimatum. He will let her go back to her comfortable life and will leave her alone, but she had to do one thing for him. So out of fear of being killed, she swears in front of a clergyman that her mother was dead and that she attended her funeral. You see, her dad wanted to remarry, and they would not allow it unless there was a witness to her mom's death. Mita's father remarries, and she gets back to her education and soon starts working as a secretary. Her father comes to her often, threatening her for money. The times when she could not pay up would be the times she would go home with bruises. When her mother, who is alive and well in Dayton, Ohio, tries to get a divorce so she can remarry, the great lie is discovered. Her father is suddenly in a lot of trouble and is facing jail time for breaking the law. As you can imagine, Mita's life was suddenly in danger. In an effort to get away from her father, Mita moves to Chicago in 1884 at 14 years old. She lives with a wealthy woman named Miss Toro at 99 J Street. Miss Toro was friends with a childless family Mita lived with in Rowan, and one day when Miss Toro took the train into Rowan, she learned of the situation and invited Mita to stay with her. For two years, Mita lives in Miss Toro's home in Chicago. In 1886, she meets the mysterious man we mentioned earlier, Edwards, Arts, and possibly Holmes. They seemingly have a relationship, and Mita is well aware that he is using a fake name. I know this because of the letters that she writes to her best friend Rowan. It's important to also note that this is the same year that we know that Holmes moves to Chicago. Mita tells her friend in a letter that the man is married. However, his wife did not move to Chicago with him. This also lines up exactly with Holmes. Suddenly, at the end of 1886, Mita leaves Chicago and returns to Rowan. I believe Miss Toro learned of the relationship between Mita and the mysterious man. At the time, it was socially unacceptable for a young lady to be with an older man, especially one who was already married. It was so socially unacceptable that it was better for her to go back to a town where her life would be endangered by her father's anger. Soon after returning to Rowan, Mita starts exchanging four letters a week addressed to H.N. Edwards, care of H.E. Drenning, with Chicago Interior, Chicago, Illinois. Mita tells her best friend that he uses a fake name, owns a drugstore in Chicago and St. Louis, and that he promised to marry her if she returns. She describes him as a fine scholar who spoke German and French, and that he looks older than he really was. By the end of 1888, Mita moves back to Chicago at 168 East Superior Street. Her mystery man gets her a job at Pictorial Publishing Company on State near 15th Street. Within a month, her body would be found floating in the lake near Lincoln Park. Her body was described as having long brown hair. She was short, with large blue eyes. 
She was wearing a brown dress with a large checkered new market cloak. She had on a small gold brooch, gold ring, and a gold locket. A couple days after the body was found, the mysterious man going then by O.W. Arts called the morgue and identified the body as Almeida Hewitt from Rowan, Indiana. He stated that he was only a friend and that Mita confided in him that she was severely depressed and wanted to die. He spins a story about how she fell in love with a man in Rowan and that she killed herself because the man did not want to be with her anymore. At a time when the Chicago police was really overwhelmed, the run-of-the-mill story about a young girl who committed suicide because she was 18 and her married lover no longer wanted her was seemingly a welcome close to the case. There are no existing records of Almeida's death certificate, police report, or autopsy. Officials from Cook County suggested if a well-respected professional, such as a druggist, said she committed suicide, they likely just shipped her body back to Rowan without much documentation or investigation. And that seems to be what happened. Her body arrived by train back to Rowan, where her friends got together to give her a small funeral. Her burial plot was donated, and they were able to raise money to pay for a gravestone. While working out all of these details, I drove up to Rowan for the day to find where all these events took place. There is currently no train station in Rowan. In fact, the train doesn't run through that area anymore at all. After some digging, I did locate where the train station was back in the 1880s. If you find yourself in Rowan, it's near the intersection where a lone train caboose now sits just outside the business district, which sounds a bit grander than it actually is. The town of Rowan today is known for its covered bridge, the very bridge they would have taken Mita's body on to get to the cemetery. Her stone sits quietly in an old cemetery between the cornfields of rural Indiana. Her last name is misspelled on the stone, likely as a result of no family members participating in the funeral. Her friends probably just had it spelled as it sounded, H-E-W-I-T, when it's really H-U-I-E-T. So now you know the mysterious and tragic life of Almeida Hewitt of Rowan, Indiana. One last time, I'll remind you of the poem that her friends so caringly had placed at the base of her gravestone. Here lies a rose, a budding rose, blasted before her bloom, whose innocence did sweets disclose beyond that flower's plume. So what do you think? Could Almeida be an early victim of homes in Chicago, or do you think it's just a coincidence? I hope you've enjoyed this season on H.H. Homes.
are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you.